Support for Talking Heart on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at qcbt.com. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Shelley Cooper, assistant professor of theater arts at Augustana College and the director of the upcoming production, The Three Penny Opera, which will be performed at the Bruner Theater May 5th through 8th on the Augustana College campus. Hi there, Shelley. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you're welcome. And, and this play, while it was written in Berlin in the late 1920s, is set in Victorian London. Describe the storyline of this production. Oh, goodness. So I think that the theme is more impactful than the actual storyline. So the theme to me is a socialist commentary on a capitalist world gone wrong. Hmm, sound relevant? Uh, And so we see the anti-hero Mac Heath, and he is... He's just the worst of the worst. He steals, he lies, he cheats. And you see that he is married to Polly Peachum and that he's married to Lucy Brown. And it's all about getting him to the gallows at the very end of the show. Um, But no spoilers here, but you'll see what happens at the end of the show. But I think that the essence really is in order to get ahead in life, lie, cheat, kill. That's just how you do it. Anything for money, you you got to be out for yourself. Well, it sounds dark, but but there, but there are uh, I'm sure there are many funny aspects of it too, and and it does offer a really great opportunity to reflect on 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 greed and and a, a, a oppression of people and what links we will go to to try to compensate for that and 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 accountability within our society. That was why I wanted to do this show and why I wanted to do it now. I had never really thought I wanted to direct Three Penny and then 2020 hit and I couldn't stop thinking about the show and thinking about the messages. And I thought COVID highlighted corporate greed and all of this in such a terrible way. And so I I thought that it all was so relevant that Mm -hmm. this is a story I wanted to tell. Well, is there a sympathetic character in the play? (laughs) Uh, not really no uh to be to be frank everyone is very very flawed there's little glimmers that you get of sympathy but for the most part everyone is out for the other person except i would say i have five ensemble members no four ensemble members four ensemble members that represent the everyman in the show and so they are the only ones on stage that do not tell a lie and that we can sort of see, they represent that three penny audience. They represent those beggars, the, the, I guess the lowest of the low, if you will, but they represent the humanity. And so those are the only ones, but for the most part, no, mm-hmm. everyone is very, very flawed, which makes a really interesting device for a musical. Mm-hmm. Well, McKeith, the, the, the main, is he, would you call him the main character? Yes. Yeah. Um, he is this classic anti-hero. I always think it's interesting when a play utilizes an anti-hero. So they may ultimately be motivated to do something good, but the motivation is not um, is not pure. You know, it, there there may be really underlying darker reasons for that. And and at one point in the play, he asked this question: "What's picking a lock compared to buying?" 
shares, what's breaking into a bank compared to founding one. The one thing I think that is actually admirable about McKeith is that he never lies and and doesn't try to deceive the audience that he isn't the horrible person that he is. But there are other characters on stage. Um, I think Mr. Peachum is a perfect example where he acts holier than thou, but he ends up stealing from the beggars that he is claiming to help. Um, and so there's kind of these interesting dichotomies of, okay, yes, MacKeith is a terrible person, but he's never gone around trying to pretend like he is a good human being. Where there are other characters on stage that are masquerading as these wonderful people, and they're arguably worse because of that. And there's some famous songs in this work that people will probably be surprised to hear about, one of which has become a jazz standard. Yes, Smack the Knife. So the song was written last minute. It was a last minute song. It was not the first song. It was written written at the last minute um, as a precursor for the show, and that is the most famous song, but it sets the world of the Three Penny Opera so brilliantly. But you're right. It is, you know, Bobby Darin, Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, they've all sung their versions of it in a really fun, swung way. So the melody is really upbeat, and the words are far from that. (laughs) Oh, the shark has pretty teeth, dear. And he shows them pearly white. Oh, the shark has pretty teeth, dear. And he shows them a pearly white. Just a jackknife has back heat, dear. And he keeps it outside. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so that gives us a little bit of a clue in terms of what we're what we're in for. There's also a song, Pirate Jenny, that's very well known. Uh, Nina Simone has sung, uh, has performed a great version of that. But it was more originally uh, back in Germany when this was originally written, performed by um, a, a partner of the of the the person who wrote the music for the production. Yes, uh, Kurt Vile's wife, Ladelenia, uh, she, that became her signature song. So in the production, Polly Peachum sings the, the song, but in further productions, there've been so many different revisions. Jenny, who was the character Ladelenia played, sings it. Um, but that's neither here nor there. It's a very, very famous song. It's a wonderful storytelling piece. I think it really gets to... There's a lot of what is not said in that song that I find so, so delicious and fascinating. The imagery is really great. Uh, so I, I I really quite like Pirate Jenny. And Lada Lenya is an icon. Well, I can't wait to hear it. And, you know, I'm curious about the title of the of the production, too, because it's a little tongue-in-cheek. There's a lot of playfulness and, it, it, with it. Uh, it's not, it's not while well, it's called the Three Penny Opera, it's not technically an opera. Right, because there is spoken dialogue, so opera in its whole typically doesn't have that, uh, and it's not all sung in that Italian verismo opera style, like you would see a La Traviata or a La Boheme. Um, but is it musical theater, kind of? I mean, oftentimes, what I always tell people, I'm like, is it an opera? Yes. Is it a musical? Yes. Is it a play with music? Yes. It's kind of all of the above. Um, so... But yeah, it's not technically an opera. Mm-hmm. I think the best way to describe it is it's a play with music, but I think it is so it was so formative for the musical theater genre. And, and tell us a little bit about the word three penny, the origin of that. Um, so it would be old British currency used in Victorian time, but it was not something 
it was the lowest of the low could afford it. There's a there's an opening line in the Three Penny Opera that talks about this is only something a beggar could afford. The Three Penny Opera is only something that a beggar could afford. Um, so this is so we're kind of throwing all of this together in a sense that it's not. It's not fancy. It's not over the top. Because when you think of opera, especially during that time, you're thinking these gigantic Wagner sets or Aida or, or something of that grand nature. And this is the opposite. Mm. So was Bertolt Brecht, was he advocating for operatic reform, do you think? There's definitely an argument for that. I mean, he was he was advocating for arts reform in general. He had a lot of more outside-the-box ideas on that, for mm-hmm. sure, and and how audiences and people should take in theater and why we should do theater. Right, and that's part of his concept of epic theater. What did he mean by that term? Epic theater, it, so it's the idea that the audience comes in and they are fully aware they are in a show. It is not one of those shows that you come in and you get immersed in a world and you, you know, suspend disbelief these actors break the fourth wall. I mean, the fourth wall never existed in an epic theater show. Um, they're making eye contact with the audience. Um, so much of it is so much more on the nose, I guess, as I would say. But it's also not there to pull on your heartstrings in terms of sentimentality or empathy, but to teach you a lesson about a greater cause. Mm. It was never written as... You know, you can go see a rom-com and it's not going to change your life, but it's going to make you feel good. You know, pull on your heartstrings. Epic theater is the opposite of that. So this is not escapism at all. No. Yeah. <laughs> and, no. <laughs> and the actors sometimes directly address the audience, it sounds oh, like. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, directly addressing the audience. They'll they'll be in the audience. They'll cross and they'll stare. Um, it's And the music is, these are all lesson songs. All the words that Bertolt Brecht for, wrote for this show, it's all about telling a lesson about life. It is not necessarily to help further the plot. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting thinking about this time. It was first produced, I believe, in 1928. So that was pre-World War II. And across the world, everything was changing in the arts. You know, cubism was coming into play. So Picasso was painting and James Joyce was writing his novels and and uh, we were seeing art really in a way we'd never seen before. And it wasn't just confined to one area. It wasn't just, say, European. It was, it was we were seeing, um, you know, things progress in a, in a very, in a very bold and modern way that we'd never seen before. And that's really, I, I think, so, so interesting to, to think about. How, how have your students responded to this play? They are so excited and just gung ho about it. I was shocked. I was going, "Oh my gosh! I don't. Are they going to think this is cool? Are they going to like this?" And the cast—they are so excited to be a part of something like this. They—we've had many character conversations and just thematic discussions, and they've all just jumped in the deep end with it and have just had really great and creative ideas about these idea about what was going on in the 20s, but then how is it relevant to now? Um, We've talked a lot about how they wrote the show as a cautionary tale, because like you said, it's right before World War II, and we're talking about some of these things like right before the Nazis come in, this show was being produced. And so we've talked a lot about the the importance of that. Mm -hmm. 
What sounds to me like the students are learning so much more than than just what the viewers would see when they're performing on stage. There, there are just so many other lessons that you can wrap up in this. And, and, um, and, and you know, we've been so fortunate to have you join the Augustana faculty. That was back in 2017. Yes, thank you. When you came, so it was around the time the new Bruner Theater Complex opened and a new musical theater concentration was added. That is correct. Yes. Yeah. So my, my position was to build the curriculum. And so I built the curriculum in about two years and then we launched it in the school year of 2019-2020. So launching a musical theater curriculum <laughs> in a pandemic, that's just been spectacular. <laughs> really been able to get the data to see if it's working or not <laughs> when I'm teaching dance classes on Zoom. So there we go. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you can get through this, you can probably get through anything, anything in life. I think so. <laughs> yeah. And you have a master's degree in musical theater from the University of Central Florida. That's correct. I'm wondering, what do you think students learn from produce, uh, from participating in a musical specifically compared to a more traditional stage production? With a musical, there are so many elements that have to come into play. There's the, the music, of course, but there's everything from the singing to the instrumental music part of it. Uh, there's microphones, then we've got choreography, and you have script, and there's just so many pieces that have to be put together. Um, and I always try to tell my students there's a lot of, like, it's organized chaos. It has to, like, because it still has to look like art and it still has to look organic and fun, but it can't just be, all right, let's just throw a bunch of people on stage and figure it out. It has to be so much more strategic than that. Um, and so I think that the students learning how, well, how do I storytell and, and give away these same emotions while singing or while dancing or while acting or while doing all of the above? Or as a director, I have to think, okay, so I need to put the the band here can the singers see the conductor for this part of this staging there's just a lot of these like little logistical things that i think come into play mm -hmm. um when working on a musical that i get really really excited about so yeah well i i'm i can't imagine directing a production like this it, it must be it must be overwhelming and you must be really good at at multitasking but you know, you do have a very broad background in theater besides directing. I know you're an actor yourself. You're a vocalist, a choreographer, and an educator. Um, so you love theater and your life has been really centered around it. What do you think it is about theater that captivates us so much that explains also its persistence as an art for, form over the ages? One thing I love about theater is that it's ephemeral, meaning that it is always if you see a performance one night and then try to see the same actor again the next night, it's not going to be exactly the same. Might be similar, but I love that idea of being in a space, having a chance to do a performance one way with the energy of the audience with you know the musicians you're working with or however that that performance cannot be replicated the next night. It can't be. It's always changing. There's always something that kind of keeps you on your toes. And then also thinking about the audience dynamic is it's a group of people coming from all different walks of life, all different life experiences coming together for one common goal, which is to view whatever this piece may be. And so even if you all are not having a conversation, you can feel the energy of people around you from these different experiences, different ideas, 
viewing theater. And so to me, that is what has made why I love, I love, love, love the theater. And mm -hmm. that's a big part of it. I mean, theater at its core is storytelling, but I, I love the aspect that it can't be replicated. Mm -hmm. As an audience member, I certainly love that collective um, experience that you were talking about. And there aren't very many times that we get to feel that. And I definitely felt the absence of that these last two years. So I'm thrilled that that theater is back. Um, I wanted to ask you about this because you've been very busy lately in addition to this upcoming production that you're hard, on work, uh, hard at work on. Um, you directed the opera, Carquinos, several months ago, and I read you also wrote and performed a one-woman show this winter that received numerous awards. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Uh, Carquinos was a dream. Uh, Dr. Jacob Banks wrote a phenomenal score, and having the opportunity to work with the Quad City Symphony is all I can say is that show, it, that opera was just very, it was meaningful. It was a very quick process um, and had some of the most giving, kind people working with. So that was amazing. And then the show I wrote um, is called uh, La Divina, The Last Interview of Maria Callas. I actually wrote the show in 2010, um, and I've been performing it off and on since then. But as of recently, I went to the Orlando Fringe Festival and won Best Individual Performance in a Drama, and then went to Hollywood Fringe and won Pick Up the Fringe, uh, which was really great. <laughs> um, and then I will be making my off-Broadway debut in the fall. Oh, that's so fantastic. With that show, yeah. yeah. So it's exciting. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, how? what was your idea for that? So the idea came from, it was my master's thesis, um, but it came from, I always tell people, it came from rejection. So I... I thought that I was going to play Mabel in the Pirates of Penzance as my thesis role, and I didn't get it, and I was really crushed. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll write my own write my own thing. And I remember I was in an interview for a theater position that I didn't get, but the question was, what scares you the most in the theater? And I said, probably writing and performing my own show, because at least in someone else's, I can hide behind their words, but hiding, like, Everything is exposed. You're you're the performer. Your words are being judged. Everything. And so I said, that just seems really scary. And so I went back to that question. I went, huh, I'll write this. And then when I was about 17 years old, I was told I was a soprano. And I looked up, you know, okay, well, what is, you know, what are operatic singers? Maria Callas's recording of Visi d'Arte from Tosca came on. I couldn't, I didn't know anything about Tosca. I could not translate Italian at age 17, but I did know, right? Shocking. Um, but, but I did know that I wanted to sing like that, that I could hear every acting objective, every emotion in, in just one, one recording. And so I wanted to learn how to do that. And so she ended up being the catalyst for that. And it's just been a joy. I, I never tire of getting to play Maria Callas. It's an honor every time I get to do my show. Oh, well, that's such a great story about persistence and and turning. You know, rejection can be turned around, and you sometimes can discover an even better experience. You know, experience more often than not. Yeah. Honestly, I always tell my students. I said, "It's how you deal with the rejection." That's what makes you the artist, not how you handle a bunch and a bunch of a bunch of success, because probably the greatest parts of my career have happened in a rejection or I thought I wanted something and it didn't work out that way.
Shelly Cooper, thank you so much for talking today. It was really delightful. Thank you. Don't miss one of the four upcoming performances of the Three Penny Opera, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, May 5th through 7th at 7.30 p.m. and on Sunday, May 8th at 1.30 p.m. Tickets can be obtained online at augustana.edu slash events or by calling the box office. All performances will be held on the Bruner Main Stage Theater on the Augustana College campus. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities for WVIK. Our theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cal. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.